Today we are beginning a new sermon series in the book of Ecclesiastes. It's five weeks. Um, Based on what happens today, you are going to want to be here all five weeks. It's that interesting and exciting and, and a book that is hardly ever taught in the church. And you'll probably see why, because we're going to be really depressed for three weeks. <laughs> but week four, whoo, exciting. So Ecclesiastes, it's called Chasing After the Wind. Uh, you will see a lot of connections to our world, our culture, um, where we are, and what it is that God calls us to. Would you pray with me? Gracious Heavenly Father, Thank you for your word. Help us this morning to be open to it. By your spirit, speak to our hearts and minds and transform us. That we might think more like you. That we might live more like our Lord Jesus Christ. That we would be ever more in his image. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Over the summer... We lived in an apartment, and when we first got into the apartment, we thought, this is kind of nice. I mean, compared to the other half dozen apartments or so that we have lived in, this was pretty nice. There were wood, faux wood floors, and they had new carpet because it had flooded, and so they had to get new carpet, but carpet was kind of plasticky feeling. And, and when we got in, um, we did something that my youngest son, who is two, lived in the closet. And the closet was like one of the largest places in the apartments. I mean, it was as large as the room connected to it. I don't know what they were doing when they built the apartments, but it was gigantic. And we thought it's good for my son because he can grow up and say, my, my parents really did make me live in a closet. But the longer we lived in the apartments, the more we realized it's not quite everything we thought it was. For example, our master bedroom, right outside of it, were four air conditioning units connected to other apartments. And this is the summer. So throughout the night, kick on kick off. Another one kicks on. This one kicks on. This one kicks off. Another one kicks on. All night long. And one of them in particular, I don't know what it was, but like something was connected to the wall right on our master bedroom because when it would kick on for 20 seconds, the wall creaked. (laughs) All throughout the night. But my favorite was our kitchen. And I'm only going to tell you one item because almost everything in the, in the kitchen didn't work. But the microwave. Okay, the microwave had buttons that only randomly worked. And it was on a light switch, you know, like the lamps where you can turn it on and off. And so if you reset the microwave, different buttons worked. So if you went to put something in and this button didn't work, you just turned it off, waited five seconds and turned it back on. And that button might work at that point. Some button was going to work. And over two, three, and by the way, we lived off of basically frozen food. We're in this apartment, and we were using frozen, like, lasagna and stuff all the time. It got to the point where only two buttons on the microwave worked. The start button and the add 30 seconds. (laughs) Now, the lasagnas, they take 20 minutes. So you stick it in, you just start doing this. 
40 times <laughs> hitting this button. And anything that like was like you put it in and it went long enough so you stopped it, you couldn't hit cancel. You pulled it out, shut the microwave, and just let it do its thing. Because there was no cancel button either. This was our entire summer of living in this apartment. There were smells and sounds. Like the people above us, when they walked from place to place, they were doing Celtic dancing the whole time. Just all this noise and, and everything. Everything under the roof of that apartment was awful. It was vanity. It was futility. And we couldn't change it. Everything that got fixed, something else broke. Everything that got fixed, it didn't work the right way. It worked differently than it did before they fixed it, but it didn't work right. What if the entire world were futile? What if everything under the sun were futile? What if everything under the sun didn't work the way you wanted it to work? That is what Kohelet tells us is the truth. Kohelet is the Hebrew word for the, for the assembler. Right? The book of Ecclesiastes, that word Ecclesiastes comes actually out of Greek, which comes out of Hebrew, which is Kohelet, the assembler, the person who gathers. And that's what he says. Everything under the sun is futile. If you would, open up your Bible to Ecclesiastes chapter 1. Ecclesiastes chapter 1. After Proverbs, kind of in the middle of your Bible, if you just flip to the middle, or you can go to the table of contents and just look it up. I know it's not a book that we read a whole lot. Ecclesiastes chapter 1. The book starts at the end instead of the beginning. You know the shows that start and like within five minutes it comes on and says, and now, 24 hours earlier. You know what I'm talking about? That's what this book does. It starts with the conclusion. Ecclesiastes chapter 1 and verse 1. The words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem, vanity of vanities, says the preacher, Vanities of vanity, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. There's the conclusion of the entire book. You could stop right there and you will have his point. This is what he comes to. Right, but I want to define that word because you see it here, vanity of vanities, vanity of vanities, all is vanity, five times right there. A very significant word that you will see throughout the entire book. But the translation vanity or the NIV, meaningless, which is one of the more popular ones. Neither one of those terms carries the heart of what he's doing with this word. In Hebrew, the word is hevel. Literally, it refers to wind or spirits. Right? In a symbolic sense, it can mean meaningless, but here's meaningless. John, job, read, two, four. That's meaningless. It's a jumble of words that has no meaning. That, that's not the point here. That's not what he's getting at. Right? There's a phrase that you will know. It's what we call the sermon series, chasing after the wind. That is a better image for what the word is. Right? I'm going to give you two definitions that overlap throughout the book. All right? Number one is fleeting. Fleeting. 
transitory, something that doesn't last. Right? That is a huge part of what he means in this word. All right? Think of it this way. We're going to change our image from chasing after the wind to what children do, chasing bubbles. All right? Do you ever let children chase bubbles, whether it's your kids, grandkids, you blow the bubbles out in the backyard and they're chasing them. All right? Here's fleeting. They want to catch one of those bubbles. They will grab it and they will have it for a moment. And then it's gone. And then they'll go for the next bubble and it's gone. They get to touch it, they feel it, it's right there for a moment, and it's gone. That's fleeting, transitory. Right? That is one of the ideas with this word that you will see throughout the text. It's fleeting or transitory. Right? Here's a second, futile. Right? Here's the other part of this. No matter how much energy my child expends trying to catch a bubble, he will never actually catch the bubble. It's futile. He can run after it as hard as he wants. He can think through it. He's four. He's never going to actually get the bubble and be able to hold on to it. It's always going to pop. And he does it over and over and over again, and it just keeps popping. It's futile. No matter how hard you try or how much energy you expend, it's still going to pop. That's what he means. Everything under the sun is fleeting and futile. Everything under the sun is not going to last. And no matter how much energy you put into it, it is still not going to last. It's still not going to give you or me any kind of lasting satisfaction. Right? That's his idea behind this whole thing. Right? So as we go through, and you keep hearing the terms, right, I want you to have this in your mind. Right? Picture the bubbles. And then here's this kid, and I blow the bubbles. And everything in life is going after this bubble. And for one moment, I touched it. But then it popped. And I tried harder and harder and harder, and I still just couldn't catch it. Fleeting and futile. Everything under the sun. Right? It is the equivalent of having an argument with a two-year-old. Have you tried? Right? The rationality of a two-year-old? It is hot outside. No, it's not. No, no, it is. It is hot outside. No, it's not. Look, my weather app tells me it's 101. No, it's not. The thermometer says it's 100. No, it's not. Right? It's like arguing with a two-year-old. Or in my case, sometimes it's like arguing with a cat. You ever argue with a cat? Same result. Right? Or arguing with an Aggie. Did I say that out loud again? Man, I can stop picking on Aggies. All right. So... Here is the conclusion of the book, right up front, that everything under the sun is fleeting and futile. It is never going to bring you lasting satisfaction. It is never going to be what you want it to be, ultimately. Now, how did he get there? The rest of the book helps us, but here's in a nutshell in this introduction. How did he get there? He thought deeply about life. This is how he comes to his conclusion. He thought deeply about life. 
And, and there are three things that we see in this first part that he thought about. Look at verse 3. What does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun goes down and hastens to the place where it rises. The wind blows to the south and goes around to the north and around and around goes the wind. And on its circuits, the wind returns. All streams run to the sea, but the sea is not full. To the place where the streams flow, there they will flow again. Here's the first thing that he saw as he thought deeply. We really don't change. There's just a cycle that keeps happening. It keeps going over and over again. The wind is going to do the same thing over and over again. A generation's going to come, a generation's going to go, another generation's going to come. The earth isn't going to change. That ultimately, he says, I've thought about life. We can't really make any lasting change. It just doesn't happen. The same thing just happens again and again and again. It's all futile. It's all fleeting. Because it's just going to keep happening over and over again the same way it did before. Today, you take Facebook, tweeting, and Pinterest. There are more than 700 billion photos and ideas that have been shared. That's a big number. I mean, this is huge in our culture. We keep wanting to take pictures of things and share them with others. We have an idea. We want to shoot it out and share it to others. We want them to retweet our idea. We want them to repost the post that we did. We want them to comment on it. Hey, that whole phenomenon in the late 1800s, early 1900s, it was called scrapbooking. Literally. And if you look back at that period of time and you look at scrapbooking, it was gigantic. It had its own terminology, much like we have tweeting and posting. They had scissorizing, gleanings. They had their own terminology for it. And it was such a big thing that newspapers actually began to print photos and, and articles in such a way that they were the size to be clipped. It was so big. Mark Twain was a huge scrapbooker and actually huge in the business. In fact, he coined the term scrapbooking. And it was so big that in 1885, they said 20% of his publishing was scrapbooking. In 1881, when President James Garfield, I got ready to say somebody totally different, um, when he was killed, you know what his staff did? They scrapbooked all of the articles that came out. It was gigantic. And you know what it is? It is taking ideas, and it is storing them, and then it is sharing them. It's the same thing we're doing right now. It's just we're doing it technologically. Kohelet said it just keeps happening. We're in this cycle. Our technology might change. We might think we're doing something different, but if we look back, we're not doing that much different than what they were doing. At one point, it was just cave drawings. But it's the same thing that just keeps happening. So that's his first one. 
we don't really change anything. Number two, verse eight. All things are full of weariness. A man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. Here's the second part. You also cannot ultimately be satisfied. You will never see everything you want to see. Eventually, it'll get old. Or hear what you want. Eventually, it will get old. There is no ultimate satisfaction in anything. How many times for you has the grass been greener on the other side? No matter what you got, it's always been greener on the other side. We see this on an everyday basis with a four-year-old and a two-year-old. Eight toys, eight separate toys, but they both have to have the same one. And they will yell and scream at each other for the exact same toy, and eventually we intercede, and somebody gets that toy, and the moment they get that toy, guess what they want? Exactly. They want the toy that now the other one has. And are we all that much different? I mean, how often do we get something and then want something different? That ultimately you're not going to find satisfaction. Number three, verse nine, what has been is what will be, what has been done is what will be done, and there is nothing new under the sun. Is there a thing of which it is said, see, this is new? You know, and we might say, well, yeah, look, there's computers. Uh, they, the same thing computers were doing, they were doing before that just differently. You know, here's our Facebook, here's their scrapbook, here's their cave wall. It's not really new. Might be doing it differently, but it's not new. It has already been in the ages before us. There is no remembrance of the former things, nor will be any remembrance of latter things yet to be among those who will come after. Number three, we ultimately don't make a real difference. Whatever you do is not going to be remembered. Whatever you do is going to be passed on to somebody else. He'll talk later in the book about the idea that no matter how much wealth I have, when I die, somebody else is going to get it. And they may not have earned it. They may even be a bad person. And I might have to give it to them. But there's no lasting change. It's like building a sandcastle at low tide. As soon as the tide rises, it's gone. That's his vision. He says, all of these things, there is no lasting change you're going to make. There's no lasting satisfaction. There's no lasting difference. It's all futile. It's all fleeting, no matter what you do. But I want to talk for a moment about how he came to the conclusion. Because really, I don't want to just preach everything is fleeting and, and futile and then send you on your way. There has to be a little more there. Um, this is what I'm going to talk about, is the way he came to that conclusion. He thought deeply about this. I mean, these conclusions were not something where he just woke up one day, and in the midst of watching a half-hour sitcom, he went, wow, nothing ever changes. He thought about this. You'll see it throughout the book. I mean, he's got all of these various examples from nature and from people and from animals. I mean, it's, he's thought about this. He has set his mind to think. 
This is a quote from Mike Myatt of Forbes magazine. It's three years old. Studying grammar is no longer fashionable. Memorizing historical events and multiplication tables is outdated. Reading original sources is too difficult, so we read pre-digested textbooks. We spend more time in front of our televisions than frequenting our local libraries. We believe that the easier way is the better way. It's difficult to put in the hard work of reading a great work of literature when we spend our time writing in 140 characters, tweeting in case you. We now believe that school should be primarily fun and entertaining. We are not an overly deep culture. Anybody disagree with that? I mean, we don't spend a whole lot of time deeply thinking, really considering. Kohelet did. He thought about life. He thought about nature. He thought about himself and his accomplishments and the things that he could do or not do. He thought. I want to suggest to you that we need to think more. We need to stop letting so much of life happen to us and actually think about what life is, about what we are called to, about why we are here. We don't do enough of this. It is something that is far too often happening to us as opposed to us really thinking through it. Now, it's not the case all the time. There are some pretty profound thoughts that have come from kindergartners. So just listen up, because right? we could gain something from this. A group of kindergartners were asked to fill in the blank on some very well-known sayings. Better to be safe than punched by a fifth grader. You can lead a horse to water, but how? <laughs> if you lie down with the dogs, you'll stink in the morning. <laughs> a penny saved is not much. Children should be seen and not spanked or grounded. And here is one that a kindergarten teacher just said, give me your thoughts. And they wrote some out during lunchtime. Think, this is what one of them wrote, or, or at least they, they deciphered. Think of the biggest number you can, now add five. Then, imagine if you had that many Twinkies. Wow, that's five more than the biggest number you could come up with. There's some thought in that. It's like when we used to say infinity plus one. Now we're bigger than you because it, kindergartner. And then, I probably shouldn't share this, but I laughed so hard I have to. Maybe Little Red Riding Hood wanted to die. Ever think of that? <laughs> Deep thoughts by kindergartners. But they are thinking. I mean, have you ever watched a kid process? And, and maybe the result is not something where you're going, wow. But it, like, they are thinking. Kohelet 
thoughts. We need to think more. I want to challenge you to think more about your life. And and honestly, right where you are, um, I I had a friend who told me, yeah, no, I agree with this. And and I teach middle schoolers. But in order for them to think, I've got to get them to unplug. Yes and no. I I challenged him in a different way. I said, rather than saying unplug, how about asking them to think about their being plugged in? How about asking them to think about whatever game it is they're playing and what that game is doing or teaching, how it's making them feel? Because here's the idea. I'm not asking you to go get a different life. I'm asking you to think about your life. I'm asking you to think about your job and your family and your faith. Not unplug and go off to the wilderness and like have a totally different life. I'm asking you to think about where you are right now. He thought deeply. But he did a second thing. He acted on his thinking. Verse 12. I, the preacher, have been king over Israel and Jerusalem, and I applied my heart to seek and to search out by wisdom all that is done under heaven. You see, he had this deep thinking, and he saw all this, and he went, I want to see if this is true. What you are witnessing is a great science experiment where he has looked at the world and he's making a hypothesis and he is saying all of these things are true. Nothing really changes. Nothing really satisfies. And nothing really can I make a difference in. And now he says, I went and applied myself to it. I took my wisdom, and you'll see later, he took his finances, he took all the resources he had, And he went out to say, is this true? What he didn't do is go, here's my conclusion. I've thought all about this. Now I'm going to go on with my life. He thought and he acted. We're going to see his action, by the way, especially next week. We're going to look at his experiments, the things that he went out and did based on his thinking. How often do we not act on our thoughts. Let me give you some examples. Have you ever said to yourself, I really need to eat better, and then didn't? Have you ever said, I need to start exercising? I I, I said September 1st, I was going to start exercising and eating better. It's October 18th. (laughs) I haven't started yet. (laughs) How many things have you said, you know, I want to be a better spouse. I want to be a better parent. I I want to read the Bible more faithfully, but never really have. How many things have you thought about, but then not actually did? There was no action associated with it. It was just my thoughts. Uh, It was, so tonight there'll be a number of net groups that meet, because a lot of the young families, they do their small group meetings on Sunday evenings, And one of the things that small groups can do is they can sit in a small group and they can talk a lot about God and theology. And then they can walk away and nothing actually happens. They can think together well, but not do anything. What are you doing with your thinking? Because we are called not only to think deeply, but to then act. 
to do something about it, to change, to make a step forward. And, and sometimes, honestly, I think it's this way, and maybe you'll see this in your own life. I think at times we think deeply, but we don't act on it. And at times we act, but we haven't really thought much about it. We react more than we act. But we rarely put them together. Like where we actually think about our life and go, you know what? I need to get healthier because I have thought through what this is doing to me. I've thought through about my future. I really need to make a change here and then make the change. That was Kohelet. He thought deeply and he acted. There's a two-year-old girl named Beatrice. She has cerebral palsy. She is almost blind, uh, can't even crawl, and she is being raised by a single mom. One of the harder things the mom does is grow grocery shopping because Beatrice is in such bad shape that she, she's too big to sit in shopping carts. She doesn't fit in a stroller, but her wheelchair makes her sit up in such a way that it was very uncomfortable for long periods of time. And so this mom, Melody, would go to the grocery store, and she's got her basket in this hand, the wheelchair in this hand, and she's making short trips, having to go multiple times to get everything. One day, she has a conversation with an assistant manager at the grocery store. And they've seen her multiple times because she comes here all the time. Following the conversation, the assistant manager decides to do something. Like, not just think, gosh, it would be nice if we could make a difference, if we could do something, or what about maybe this, but actually thought about it and then did something. They made a grocery cart for Beatrice that put this big seat on the front that faces her mom and sits at a good angle for her and is comfortable for her to sit in so that the mom could do the entire shopping. The mom doesn't even know what's happening. She comes into the store and all of the employees come. And they surround this mom and they push this card up to her and it's got a big pink sign on it that says Beatrice. And they come up and they all start clapping for her. And this little two-year-old girl who can't hardly see, she can't talk, but she smiles. And the mom just beams because they didn't just think about it. They, they did something. And this mom now goes shopping. And not only that, the cart stays there, and they offer it to other parents who have children with major disabilities so that they can shop better for these kids. It's not just thinking, but it's doing and it's not just reacting, but it's thinking about something and then living off of the thinking. As the church, we should be some of the deepest thinkers in the world. Because we serve the creator of the universe. We have truth in our hands when we pick up the scriptures. We were never called to be dumb people. We were never called to just be emotional. Not that emotional is bad. We are called to love the Lord with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. Strength is in there, heart is in there, and so is mind. We are called to be people that think about faith and life, but then act. Will we be those people? That's what Kohelet does.
thinks deeply, and acts. Will we? This is going to be overall for the next couple of weeks a little bit of a downer. Just letting you know. Because what he thought about is how everything doesn't work. And next week is how everything doesn't work. And the week after that is even if things did work, the world is so messed up that it wouldn't matter. It's kind of a downer. Can I tell you what got us through the apartment life? With all of our children and all of the smells and all of the sounds and the microwave you had to hit 40 times to eat dinner and is that we knew we were moving into a house. I mean, it was a pain sometimes, and we're like, oh! Now, we had a roof over our heads, and we learned to be thankful just for that because there are people that don't. And so even most of our complaints were first-world issues, but we're in the first world, and it still kind of stunk. But we just kept going, you know what? When it's hard, we are looking forward to something. There are two things to look forward to. Number one is week four and five. In week four and five, there is some positive in Ecclesiastes. I mean, as a downer as this book is throughout so much of it, there are some really beautiful parts and some things that are going to say, even though everything under the sun is fleeting and futile, there is a way to live. There is a beauty and there is a purpose. And the second thing is, Exactly what Trey sung. Even so, that this life right here is not our final resting place. That there is an eternity that we look forward to where God is going to redeem and renew everything. Us and the world. And so no matter how difficult it may be, we look forward to something. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you for life. Help us as we struggle through what at so many times is frustrating and difficult and challenging and hard. When we see the futility of life, when we see the fleeting nature of the things that we enjoy, of decisions that we make, Lord, help us to still be thankful that you gave us life, that you gave us one another, that you gave us you, and to be able to look forward to the beauty that you have for us. But Lord, in the meantime, let us be deeper thinkers and let us take those thoughts and act on them for your honor and glory. In Christ's name, amen.